0: And welcome, everybody, to Our Line Starts. Lee McHugh, Keith Jones, Patrick Sharp. Guys, we are less than a month away from training camps, opening up for 24 teams. And then, obviously, if all goes well, fingers crossed, we're right around six weeks away from hockey potentially returning with a best-of-five play-in rounds. We're going to talk all about that. We'll talk about NHL awards. But we're going to get right into the news of the day because it centers on a team that owns what is, at this point, easily the longest playoff drought in the NHL. On Tuesday, the Sabres fired GM Jason Potterall, and that was really just the start of the carnage there. You have assistant GMs gone, the minor league coaching staff gone, scouting director, scouts, player development coaches all out. Kevin Adams promoted from within the news that there was no search, and he is the third straight Sabres GM with no prior GM experience. You guys know how passionate this fan base is. What do you think of this move and what do you think of it happening now, Jonesy? I'll start with you. Uh,
1: I think it's really confusing, Liam. I think it's – I can't say it's surprising that they let uh, Bottero go, but it is surprising that Kevin Adams was named the general manager. And a lot of that has to do with what you're talking about. You mentioned the fact that it's their third consecutive general manager that has not had experience. And boy, if you don't have experience, you better have scouts that have experience. And it doesn't sound like they have any scouts left right now. So uh, I've always appreciated the Buffalo Sabres and their fan base. Uh, It's been disappointing for a long time now, and they they need to get it fixed. But I'm not sure that things are getting fixed immediately. And I think that's going to be concerning to their fans. So We'll sit back and watch for a while, but Buffalo needs to turn it around quickly, and Jack Eichel needs some great players to play with. It's unfortunate that a star of his caliber has been wasting away right now with that Buffalo Sabres team, and I'm hopeful that it uh, ends up turning out for the better, but I think it's going to take a long time to get this thing figured out.
0: There are some things that are too good to keep a secret, like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge or how it seems like you always get those hard to snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't miss events with access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi priority notified and Amex card member benefits at select events. You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American express terms apply. Learn more at americanexpresscom express.com slash with Amex. Yeah.
2: A lot of changes. It took the news uh, for me. Yesterday by storm, I was uh, shocked just to see not only the general manager, but all the other people in the staff be let go as well. You know, you're talking about pretty significant positions within the organization. you got the head coach and general manager. There's been a lot of turnover there in recent years. And I think that that lack of leadership with those positions, I mean, that causes for some tough results in the standings. Now, Kevin Adams was a shock uh, to many uh, what I know about Kevin Adams is he was a former teammate of mine. He was a great teammate. And talk about leadership qualities. He was on the Blackhawks, uh, I want to say 2006-07. It was the early years. Jonathan Tays was a rookie. And I know Jonathan kind of had a lot of heart-to-heart conversations about how to be a leader in the National Hockey League, how to take that presence uh, to another level in the locker room. Uh, Kevin Adams was a guy who always worked hard and and cared about the team first. Now, he's in a new position, and and we'll see how that works out. But I know he lives in Buffalo. He's done a lot with the youth hockey in the area, and he's committed to the area in Buffalo. He gets out. He hangs out with the fans. He lives in the city. He's at the restaurants. He's at the local rink. So he's one of them guys from Buffalo running the team now. We'll see how this turns out.
0: Yeah, it's a passionate fan base, and now they do have a GM. He certainly understands at least that aspect of it, but he's got a huge task in front of him. Which is interesting because, I mean, it's nine years now, this playoff draft, right? And the way the NHL is built at this point, it's a parity-driven league. And if you go really three years without going to the playoffs, people have to start to question what's happening here. Uh, They have a superstar in Jack Eichel. Their head coach is Ralph Kruger. We don't know what kind of job uh, Kevin Adams will do. But Ralph Kruger, from what we've seen so far, how comfortable do you feel with him at least as the head coach to help steer this team in the right direction, guys?
1: I'm glad he stayed, Liam. I think that's a really important part of this whole equation. I do think you'll have a bigger say in some of the personnel decisions as well. I'm sure that Kevin Adams is going to uh, lean on him quite a bit. And I think they're going to have plenty of conversations even prior to the NHL draft on exactly what he feels his team needs uh, laid out in front of them. They made progress at times this year. They have done that in the recent past, though, where they've had stretches where they've looked like a playoff team uh, and then have all of a sudden watched everything dissipate. He looks like a guy that can be a calming influence when things fall apart. Um, It appears like he, to me, is a very good head coach. So I'm I'm pleased that he's going to stay there. I think that's going to help in the turnaround in Buffalo. But I do think he's going to have a big voice in some of the Uh, decisions that are going to be made as far as player personnel goes, which I don't know that he had prior to, you know, this situation happening.
0: You think he's going to, for you and you, Sharpie, um, as well, if that's the case, do you like the idea that Ralph Ruger will have a bigger voice? Should he have a bigger voice?
2: I think so. I think it's important that the head coach and the general manager are always on the same page. Uh, Communication needs to be there. you got to – Talk hockey all the time. you got to be on top of your team. you got to know the strengths and weaknesses of it. you got to know what players at positions you need to add. Uh, so if there's going to be some collaboration there, I, I think it'll be a good thing. Another positive in this story is Sabres aren't going to be playing hockey for a while. It's unclear yeah. when they'll be playing again, so there's certainly a lot of time to kind of get pieces in the right place and build this thing up the right way. I know they do have a few nice pieces on the ice. Jack Eichel, Darlene on the back end. <clears throat> That's a pretty good start at two important positions.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's funny. We overlooked Aline at this point, but, you know, the guy was number one pick and a guy was considered can't miss, right? Can't miss type prospect. Um, so you do, you have some building blocks. You have some cornerstones outside of those two guys. This has already been a long time. Jonesy, you used the words, this could take a longer time to get better. Outside of those guys, you look at their roster, do you see a contending team?
1: Not yet. I mean, there's, there's still a lot of work to do. I think the Jeff Skinner signing is going to haunt them. I mean, you're yep. talking about a ton of money that was committed to a player that had one good year and prior to that had plenty of health issues uh, before, including concussion issues. Uh, it, I can only imagine what it's like to be Jeff Skinner when there's moments where your career was in doubt because of injury and then you're awarded a ton of money for a long time. I wonder if the incentive is there for him to continue to try to produce at the level that he did prior to getting that contract. So uh, it has not shown up yet, that's for sure. Uh, Since he received his new deal, he's played poorly. And that's a key guy because of the salary that he makes that I'm not uh, confident will ever play as well as he did going back prior to signing that deal. So I do think there's some very good players on their back end and Dahlien, of course, is going to be the guy that leads them back there. I think there's value in some other players back there as, as well. Uh, Ristelainen, a player that I think has value if, if in fact, he does not stay in Buffalo. I think he's mm-hmm. got some upside that has never truly been uh, reached in Buffalo, but I think there's potential, and I think there'll be teams out there that believe they can find a way to get him to a different level. Montour was a nice addition. Their Their blue line is not – horrendous their blue line has potential and I think that should help them ultimately start to get things turned around but goaltending would go a long way in uh, fixing some of their defensive woes and certainly help turn that team around I think they'll have to look elsewhere for that I like Ristoline
2: and Liam a lot in Buffalo and I think his name keeps popping up time after time in trade rumors because other teams like him as well and they want to get him out of Buffalo I think he's slotted probably a little higher right now in his career than he should be, but that's probably because Buffalo is not winning many games, but Ristolainen competes every shift. He's hard to play against. He's in great shape. He logs minutes. I think him and Darlene take steps in their career here in the next couple of years, and that's going to help turn things around in Buffalo. you keep him, You'd have to be blown away. I'd like, like to hang on awesome. to so If You're trying to win games and you're trying to build. I mean, what better piece do you need than a big, strong, right-handed shot, good skating defenseman that's young, early in his career? I mean, those are the guys you're looking for. I like Kristine a lot.
0: You know, final thought on this. Obviously, the Pagool is on the Bills as well, and they recognize the fact that they swung and missed a few times with Buffalo before seemingly at this point getting it right with their coach and their GM. The future looks bright. They could easily win the division this year. The Buffalo Bills could host a home playoff game, which, you know, people in Buffalo would be obviously thrilled about at this point. But the fact remains, so much turnover with this Buffalo Sabres organization. For both of you personally, what did it mean to the players individually, not just coaching, but to know that there was front office stability? Did that affect you that much in your career? Obviously, coaching, I get. But how much did front office stability affect you on the ice?
1: I think it matters a lot, Liam. I think it mattered in my career, and I was fortunate that every team I played for had that and I was never actually on a team where a general manager was removed at the time that I was playing for that team. Uh, David Poyle in Washington obviously has been great throughout his career. Pierre Lacroix just won a Stanley Cup with the Avalanche and went on to win more Stanley Cups after that as well, and Bobby Clark had been in Philadelphia forever, so I always felt like that was a great foundation for a team to have and there was a ton of stability in all three of those clubs that i played for so it's a very important part of the puzzle and the players are going to be very leery of what's going on there so there's going to have to be a lot of convincing to the guys in that wearing those sabers uniforms that this is going to be a change that's going to be a change and then it's going to stay constant for once i think that's what would go a long way in helping the sabers team but uh, question marks never sit well with a locker room. I think Sharpie
2: would agree with that. Yeah, no doubt about that. There needs to be stability uh, at the highest level. And it, it's felt all the way down in the locker room. Personal experience playing with the Blackhawks. When Rocky Words took the team over uh, 2007, things changed instantly. And that front office support was there. My job was to go out and play as a hockey player. That's all we need to do. But you could certainly feel it throughout the city. Uh, The front office elevated our status, so to speak. They made us feel like rock stars. They made us feel like the United Center was the best place to play. We knew they had our backs. They were always adding players to the deadline, putting us in a position to win. And that goes a long way to the performance of the players on the ice. You feel like you're a part of something special. Uh, Hopefully that good, positive stuff happens in Buffalo soon.
1: And, and, you know, I'll I'll just add, Liam, just uh, one more thing. You felt a certain responsibility to that general manager. One, he sure. signed you, or he traded for you, and you didn't want to let him down. So there was a personal commitment to trying to not just play well for the uniform, but play well for the, the guy that was sitting up there and making the decisions who showed confidence enough in you to give you a contract and, or trade for you on the contract that you were on. So I, I do think that there was a lot of respect given to that position. And whenever there's doubt and there's concern and there's just a lack of knowing just how long that guy is going to be there, I think the, uh, the players can at times take advantage of that. And that's something that uh, Buffalo has to be worried about and really has to correct this time and get it right. A
0: few things about this. I love the fact that you not so subtly just put in there that at no point were you traded for or brought into a team that eventually had to fire their GM because of that. In the end, I think that's part of the message that you're sending, and that's a good message to send. Um, Smart Exactly. But I think, you know, it's also interesting to look at the Sabres, and uh, considering they're now 24 teams in this expanded playoff, just how close they came to actually making it, the first team out in the East. Instead, Montreal goes, and that was so close, right down to the end. And now Montreal has a chance, although it's a big long shot, they could play for the Stanley Cup. Meanwhile, the Sabres, three weeks after their GM gets a vote of confidence, He's out and they clean house so we'll see but as you mentioned it could be a long time till we see the Sabres back on the ice next season may not get started until december so they have a lot of time here to figure it out meanwhile we are creeping a little bit closer step by step phase by phase into getting hockey back training camp set to open july the 10th uh roman Pollock made some comments saying that at his age which is 34. I thought he'd be a little bit older after saying at my age, he can't imagine coming back this way. looks like he may not come back. Dallas does not seem to mind that. But on the whole, it seems like most of the players uh, are comfortable with this. They're looking to get back. The only news that's come out sort of around this is what the NBA is doing during this time as well, because uh, you know, it's, it's really come out of the, the sort of set of guidelines and operations and this idea of living within the bubble. Uh, or living on a campus, and I'm curious about one thing, because I think the one issue that has been raised by hockey players, really from the start, is the idea of family time throughout, because you could be away for an extended period of time. This has not been contentious so far, like in the NBA, certainly not like Major League Baseball trying to come back. Do you expect them to be able to solve this? Do you expect this issue to be a problem at all? Because obviously, Hockey players, so far, they've voiced this. They're serious about it. They do want some semblance of normalcy when it comes to family time going forward. What do you two think about that? Do you think – I mean, do you think this at all could be an issue, or do you think this is something that is easily resolved?
1: I I think it's easily resolved, and I I don't think it's going to be an issue, Lee. I mean, I, I do think where the benefit is, it's a tournament. And the Stanley Cup playoffs, as Sharpie knows from his three Stanley Cup runs, the playoffs you're there to play no matter what and you're playing for the stanley cup and you're a lot less involved at home than you ever were during the regular season and obviously in the off season so there's going to be more commitment based on everything that has to happen within that bubble no question about that but i think there'll be a willingness from the players to go ahead and do that also not every team is going to be playing for the entire two months very true there's there's going to be teams that are eliminated within you know the first couple of weeks and then every two weeks there's going to be more teams eliminated and ultimately if you're still going you're feeling pretty good because you want to win that Stanley Cup so I I think that uh, a championship on the line is enough incentive for the players playing the games that uh, that they'll be able to work this out and find a way to make it happen.
2: And in fairness Jonesy when you're in the playoffs in a regular season like pre-coronavirus, you're pretty much in a bubble anyway. You're going bus to game skate, back to hotel. Home and road, you stay in the hotel often at times to avoid distractions. So if you're a team that's taking a run at the Stanley Cup, I couldn't think of a better scenario. than let's go to the same place. Let's really kind of make it our own. You know, I'm sure they have some boardrooms, some hangout areas. It'll be kind of neat to be, to be honest with you. It reminds me a lot of the Olympic Games, how there's little dorms set up for different teams and sports. I think it's going to be a unique opportunity for teams to get – close to each other and really take a run at this thing. It's going to be challenging to kind of get into the game at times, especially in those early games. No fans is going to change yeah. things uh, really early on in this, in this preliminary series. I think players will adjust and things will be just fine, but uh, you're going to have to get creative. So, I mean, I can speak from my own situation too. My wife's acting like my agent trying to get me on one of these rosters. It's been enough family. So uh, I think they'll be happy to get you guys out of the house every once in a while.
0: Yeah, I'm feeling that here as well. Uh, Premier League started, and I I think my wife was acting. She's like, you sure you can not host some of that? And here I am. I'm going to host some of that. She's like, you should really get out of the house. Uh, Speaking of which, it it did return, Premier League, and I'm watching, and it's been interesting. I've noticed the camera angle a little tighter. Um, They are using – now, there are two feeds. You can do one without crowd noise or you can watch the one with crowd noise. And I do think that soccer lends itself to this background crowd noise. It's a little sing-songy. It's got some nice background. You mentioned, Sharpie the idea of getting up, getting fired up for a game. As a
2: player, would you want some sort of crowd noise or background noise pumped in? I I wouldn't be opposed to it. I'd like to hear it and see how it makes the game atmosphere feel. Uh, My only experience is playing, you know, preseason games or – even prior to preseason games, those inner squad training camp days, day one and two of training camp where the, you're usually in an NHL building and it's empty, it's an eerie feeling. So, uh, but mind you then, there's no music being played, nothing. It's just silence. So the league's going to get creative. The buildings, whoever they are that host these games, will have uh, plenty of noise, I think, to get things going because you don't want to hear too much if you're on the ice there. You want to get lost in that sound. Think about what you need to do on the ice. But I'm interested to see how it all plays out, to be quite honest with you.
1: I I think, too, Liam, that uh, having some type of preseason-type games will go a long way in experimenting with those type of things. I think it's important that Mm the players do have, you know, at least a few exhibition games under their belt before this whole thing gets started just to get a feel for it themselves and also for us on the TV side of things to tinker with things and see if we can come up with a formula that's going to – best serve everybody including the fans at home which are obviously are really important in this whole thing as well so there is going to be some
2: into our suits jonesy
1: yeah it's going to be yeah no doubt (laughs) i gotta tie my own tie apparently now too i gotta figure that out the big things i have to worry about in this world
0: (laughs) well we're all just keeping track We, we don't want you to slip back to the jonesy of uh seven eight years ago wearing the exact well, actually, I think maybe we do want you to slip back to that Jonesy seven, eight years ago, wearing the exact same suit jacket every single game, and then doing the Flyers game. And I'm like, well, did he just wear that suit jacket out of here and wear it right to that game on the plane, and now he's wearing it again? And maybe you did. And turns out you probably did.
1: Well, I didn't wear I didn't wear it on the plane. I just rolled it up and put it in my gym bag and brought it to the rink.
0: <laughs> well, it's good to know you didn't sleep in it in the hotel and then go right to the arena. You need Indeed. But uh, I think in terms of uh, news going forward, it it does look like we're getting a little bit closer because we're expecting some announcements. And uh, one of those announcements is obviously the idea of hub cities. Uh, Ideally, well, according to some reports, we could hear something early next week. Vegas seems like a very strong front runner. Uh, Canadian cities are in the mix. Edmonton, Toronto, Vancouver – Obviously, some issues, though, uh, though Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says Canada open to being a playoff hub city as long as those local health authorities give it the okay. Um, NHL had some, obviously, issues with the idea that players could be subject to a mandatory 14-day quarantine uh, for crossing the border. So something to deal with there. But (laughs) Chicago now, a possibility as well. So let's say for argument's sake that Vegas is one. Let's say Vegas is one of those cities – where would you like to see the other hub city be? And Jonesy, I'll start with you.
1: I, I'm pretty easy on this one, Liam. As long as the arena's close to the uh, hotels that are right there and it's easy for the players to get there without having to take a bus, I think that would be ideal. Toronto would be perfect in that regard. Chicago's the same. I mean, between those two cities, they're both are awesome. Now, I don't know what the, the plan is. Maybe they – Maybe the league is going to, you know, basically rent out certain restaurants to make sure the players have places that they can go within those cities. And I think any huge city, whether it's in Canada or the U.S., has awesome uh, places that you can go to and um, make sure you find, you know, the great meals that you need and all the rest of that stuff. But for the most part, I think either Toronto or Chicago would be great. Um, and I think Vegas would be awesome as well because we've been there and obviously watched how close and looked at how close the yeah. hotels are to, to the arena. There's some hotels that aren't casinos, some, some really nice hotels in Vegas as well that are just there for, uh, for people to stay in, get a good night's sleep and go out and play some hockey as well. So uh, convenience would be the best part of the deal for me and wherever that city would be really isn't that important.
0: And Vegas, you could really have that convenience, right? Because you have you could have the multiple options for eating potentially within your hotel, uh, depending on how they work things out and shut things down. Sharpie, do you think it really matters that much to the players which city?
2: I don't think so. To be quite honest with you, I'm just thinking what a logistical nightmare this has to be putting all these things together with the, with the new restrictions and guidelines. I mean, everyone's taking the the best precautions necessary and making this as safe as we can. But things that you just take for granted, all of a sudden you gotta accommodate a large number of hockey players it's going to be quite the task and you know hats off to those that are actually putting it together i got the easy job of just watching and talking about hockey but as a player i don't think it really matters you know maybe somewhere central in the country uh it will allow different people to get there who knows what the guidelines will be like weeks yeah. and months from now maybe family could come and go at different times i don't know i mean you can see why I'm not in the boardroom making these decisions. But as a player, give me a hotel room, give me an area to hang out with my teammates, and let's have a nice ice surface, and let's get going.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's detailed. It's complex. Uh, you know, I mentioned the NBA's uh, health and safety manual. It's 113 pages long, right? And uh, obviously, details on testing, what happens if a positive case occurs. But uh, such a huge emphasis on where and when and how the players can actually move around within that bubble and how they're getting from one place to another. Uh, the planning for this is massive. It's complex, and you're right. I'm glad that we do not have to do it can just eventually talk about the games because all these people have done so much hard work behind the scenes. Uh, speaking of hard work, we have players. The season is done. They've worked hard, and now it's awards time. All the awards ballots were due this week. We get to hand out some hardware. Let's just start at the top. Let's begin. Hart Trophy, who do you have? Leon Dreisidel, the favorite for this one. Are you guys going with him? David Pasternak says if he is a vote, he would give it to Leon Draisaitl. Sharpie, who do you have?
2: Yeah, Dreisidel's my guy at number one. It was an impressive season from start to finish. The Edmonton Oilers were going to make the playoffs. They did. Um, he was great. Connor McDavid missed some time with injury. Everybody expected Dreisidel to slow down. He was able to win some games, continue his point streaks going it was a phenomenal year offensively for dry saddle. I like Nathan McKinnon in Colorado. I thought he had a great year. Colorado was a top team in the West from start to finish, and they had a ton of injuries. So McKinnon was playing with different line mates all season long. You look at the stat category, he's number one, ahead of number two on his own team by quite a margin. And then I had uh, probably Connor McDavid as number three for me. I know he missed some time briefly with some games, but... You turn on a TV and 97's on the ice, you notice him right away. His points per game is unbelievable. He backs defenders off. You don't want to play against Connor McDavid, so he had a great season as well. Those are probably my top three, but there's many more that that were close. You got
0: got one and three on the same team. Are you picking Edmonton to beat your Blackhawks in the
2: play-in round? Oh, it's going to be a back-and-forth series. I'm expecting, you know, six, five scores like the old 80s (laughs) Oilers, but it is my top three have two guys from the same team, but – I'm telling you, Jonesy. Like, correct me if I'm wrong. You turn on the games, and those two guys had phenomenal seasons.
1: Yeah. They, they did, and and you're right
2: about Drysaddle. The six games that he
1: played without McDavid are really what solidified. In my eyes, anyway, him winning the Hart Trophy. And I think uh, there's a lot of us that feel the same way on that. He, he had a monster season. Uh, McKinnon, you talked about him. I think he had over 40 points more than the next guy on his team. So that's an incredibly good season for Nathan McKinnon with Rantanen missing a bunch of time and Landeskog missing a bunch of time. Uh, Artemi Panero would be the other guy that would be in the mix there. And now that the Rangers are a postseason team or at least have an opportunity to be, uh Panarin's numbers even stand out that much more he's he was a guy that really embraced the spotlight in New York and there's been lots of star players that have signed big contracts with the Rangers that have not played up to expectations because of the uh the heat that's on you in a big city like New York but Panarin embraced it much like he did in Chicago and I thought he had a great year as well
0: yeah the Rangers look like they could be a dangerous team when this all resumes so that's the heart. feels like Drysdale will get it. It also feels like, uh, you know, the other guys that you mentioned there, McKinnon and McDavid, could be finalists for the Hart Trophy, for like pencil it in for the next eight or nine years if they're healthy. Does the Norris Trophy feel about as settled as the Hart to you, Jonesy?
1: It, it does, and it's, it's John Carlson, and got off to an unbelievably good start, an, an amazing first half. Numbers backed off a little bit. The Caps had a few bounces along the way at the start of the second half. But Carlson's year has just been miles ahead of any other defenseman. Uh, doesn't get enough credit for what he's done defensively as well. I and mean, We talk a lot about his offense, but he's asked to do a lot on that Capitals team. And he is uh, asked to play in every situation and has played it uh, to perfection all season so John Carlson would be my guy and it's tough for me to even come up with other names that I would even consider to try to beat John Carlson the usuals like Yossi and Hedman obviously are very very good players who have had very good years but Carlson to me is miles ahead of everybody else.
2: I'm with you not going to argue on Carlson I even have him for Hart Trophy consideration as well he was that dominant first half of the season I know Washington as Jonesy mentioned kind of trailed off a little bit Roman Yossi of the Nashville Predators kind of made things interesting second half of the year he was a beast very offensive season for Roman Yossi I like Petrangelo in St. Louis I noticed something was different about him this year he was the best player on the ice when they won the cup in game seven last year he carried that over this year he had times he looked dominant out there I know the numbers Points-wise, don't match up to the other two, but he was shooting the puck hard this year, scored a lot of big goals, and he was just confident player out there. I like Hedman, had a good season, and then you start thinking about some guys that we haven't really talked about a lot. Tony D'Angelo had a great season in New York. Not quite Norris Trophy numbers, but how about those young rookies, too? McCarr and Hughes, they're right there. Yep. Lots of young defensemen, but I'm, I agree with Jonesy. John Carlson the wins the Norris for me. All
0: right, well, let's go with McCarr and Hughes, and let's bring it to the Calder and Rookie of the Year. Sharpie... Who would you pick, or do you throw your Blackhawk in there? Kubelik. I mean, because you have a rookie who scored 30 goals. It's hard to overlook that. And I'll throw the air quotes out there like Jonesy did as well. They did make the postseason.
2: <laughs> they did. I'm not sure they would have made the top eight, but they are going to the playoffs. Uh, Dominic Kubalik does get consideration for sure. 30 goals. In the national hockey league whether you're a rookie or a veteran is impressive and he did it his first year in the league he's a little bit older so if you're poking holes in his season maybe you use that argument um but either way he's number three on the list because for me it's kale mccarr and quinn hughes number one number two and and i don't know how you judge this i i just know that when i watch the games kale mccarr is that much better than any other defenseman on the ice he's that dominant out there as a rookie i know he missed some time uh, and Hughes put together a great season in Vancouver. I'm not hating on him. I'll take either one of them. But I'm giving the nod to Kale McCarr with the Avalanche.
1: Yeah, I'm with Sharpie on that one as well. And the the thing that impresses me both about McCarr and Hughes is their age and their position. To play defense at that age and be standouts is really hard to do. For Kubalik to jump in as a 24-year-old and, you know, play on the wing and score a bunch of goals, that's awesome. But to play defense and be relied upon to keep the puck out of your own net and then create offensively as well, you're asking a lot of young kids. And they've handled it uh, marvelously. There's no doubt in my mind that McCarr is the guy, though. When I watch him, there's times when I think it's McKinnon carrying the puck up the ice. And that's incredible to me because McKinnon's such a unique player. But McCarr's ability to skate is like – Nothing I've ever seen before from the back end. I I think he's going to be one of the best defensemen to play this game. That's how good I think he's going to be, Liam. And I think he had proved it this year. I know the injury kind of got in the way a little bit of what was happening for him, but um, I can't wait to see him back on the ice. He's one of those players that's uh, clearly worth the price of admission.
0: Yeah, he's one of those guys where you wonder about adjustments for defensemen. You wonder about adjustments for young players and what he played his final college game and then like two days later was playing in the playoffs and then scored a goal on his first shot. And you're like, oh, I guess he adjusted pretty well. It seems like he's kind of comfortable in this league. So let's go from defensemen. We go to the goalies. This one seems wide open. Wide open. Who do you have for the best? Jonesy, you can start us off. I,
1: I, I'm going to go with Tuka Rask. I, I think he had an incredibly good season for the Bruins. I think there was – <clears throat> the disappointment of losing last year in the Stanley Cup final and the his ability to bounce right back and have another strong year has been really impressive to me. I, I think the the Bruins have had a great year and I I don't think their year is as good without the play of Tuca Rass. So uh he would be the one guy that stands out to me above all others. And then I'm telling you, Liam, there's a mix of guys that, that yeah. I've jumped around on for you know, a, a days trying to just come up with other guys that I would pick. But that's the, really the reason that I settled on Rask because it's tough to make an argument of someone being better than Rask has been
2: this year. I'll make that argument. As best <laughs> Do I, can. But, uh, I don't know. Maybe two of those other names you were thinking of, Hellebuck in Winnipeg had a pretty good season. The Jets were making a strong case to make the playoffs there down the stretch. I like Vasilevsky personally in Tampa Bay. Uh, He would be my goaltender to start a big game right now. He's got all the qualities you need at the goaltender position. He's big, which I really like when I look back and see my goaltender. Uh, And he had a ton of wins. Tampa Bay was primed, I think. They were rolling at the right time. They seemed to elevate their game. They were looking forward to getting back in the playoffs after we all remember what happened last year in Columbus. I'll be interested to see how they get things going once we start up again. But at the goaltender position for the Vesna, I'll give it to uh, Vasilevsky just to disagree with Jonesy.
0: Well, hey, that's fine. First off, that's a good enough reason on its own. Uh, But I think it's interesting that you note that he would be your goalie in a big spot right now because that's kind of been the question for Vasilevsky. And now he'll have that opportunity once again with the Tampa Bay team that's going to be healthy, it's going to be ultra-talented, and certainly flying under the radar in a way that they did not at all last year. Finish up, coach of the year, Jack Adams, Sharpie, you can begin. Who do you have?
2: I look at the two teams that struggle with injuries this year, Columbus and Pittsburgh. So I'm leaning towards Mike Sullivan and John Tortorella. Columbus especially was smoked by injuries all season long. And and we've watched the Blue Jackets play, take the numbers off the back. Every player looks the same. They're hardworking forwards. They finish on the forecheck. They've got a little bit of skill throughout the lineup. And they had great goaltending. Those would be my two guys right away. I keep thinking of Rick Tockett in Arizona because that Coyotes team, I watch them, and they keep plugging away. They have the details figured out pretty good, just lacking a few goals up front, and they'd be a different squad. So those are my top three. But, again, there's a lot of good options out there.
1: Yeah, I like all those picks. I like Barubi and St. Louis as well. I thought he did another really good job with that team without Tarasenko for much of the year. I thought Dave Tippett did a great job with the Edmonton Oilers in his first season behind the bench there. I thought Elaine Vino did a fabulous job with the Flyers as well. They're one of the hottest teams prior to uh, the, uh, the COVID-19 break here that we've been on. So, uh, but I do like John Tortorella. I think what he did with yeah. Columbus, the departure of so many star players, including Panarin, who's had a great year playing for David Quinn, who's also done a great job with the New York Rangers. Uh, but Tortorella's done it with Mears. And his team plays consistently the same way every night. And that's when you look at the head coach and go, man, this guy's this guy bringing it and his team is buying what he's bringing. So John Tortorella would get the nod. There's another yeah.
2: guy uh, it, what, along the same lines as Jonesy. I know the list is getting long, but how about Carolina Hurricanes with Rod Brindamore? There's another guy that is hardworking, in your face. Listen to what the coach says and go get it done. So that's a tough one to pick, but all those guys are great candidates.
0: Yeah, I mean, you have to look at where you were during last offseason. And you were talking about teams that maybe could regress. I think some people thought the Carolina possibly could have been one of those teams, but they haven't. I think if you looked at the Columbus Blue Jackets and all they lost, right, they went all in on free agency, and, yeah, they won a series, but then all those guys left. And it was kind of like, well, what team that made the playoffs this year can we count out from next year? And, boom, that was the team. You circled the Columbus Blue Jackets, but there they are. So Tortorella, Garubi, and, yeah, I agree, I think David Quinn – Uh, probably deserves some recognition because he's gotten his team into this expanded postseason and he had to deal with the Henrik Lundqvist situation, dealing with three goalies and having to do a rebuild while contending in New York city. So a lot there. Uh, Award season is here. We've given them out, but we also have some other news because we are launching a podumentary called sports uncovered June 25th episode is on the longest game in the NHL's modern era between the flyers and the penguins. Got some good stories some of them from our very own Keith Jones. All right, so if you're keying this up for us, Jonesy, what's a story that you would share about this game to get people into this?
1: There's a lot of funny ones that came out of that game, and a lot of different players are telling those stories during this documentary. So it's not just me telling them, which is kind of nice. But
0: Already uh, a good sales pitch.
1: That's a a great sales pitch, but a lot of guys that people haven't seen for a long time too, like Dan McGillis, uh, Chris Terran will be on there, Rick Tockett's on there talking about it, Craig Baruba, the the guys in uh, Philly did a really good job of rounding up a lot of different people to discuss what was going through each individual's mind during that uh, marathon night, but Some of the stories were a lot about the pizza that was being eaten. Every morsel of food was gone from the arena. You had to order takeout to the dressing room to get food there. um, And then just trying to survive. Yager on the other side of the ice doing – Uh, his usual Yager-like things and uh, somehow we ended up on the top on the right side of that but I think Yager played like 76 some odd minutes in that game remarkably and uh, never looked tired which uh, always has been one of the things that shocked me about him for the entire time that I played against him and covered him afterwards but there's a lot in there and there's a lot of different uh, perspectives and I think that's what'll make it interesting to
0: people. All right. Well, you got to check it out. You can do so by subscribing to the Sports Uncovered. It's right now. Uh, you can watch Marathon on Ice. To, you subscribe to it, and it will automatically download to your device next Thursday, June 25th. So you can check it out, Marathon on Ice. You hear from Jonesy and many others on that very memorable, very long, very interesting game. And as always, I want to thank everyone for listening to Our Line Starts. Jonesy, Sharpie, always good chatting to you guys. Hope you're doing well, and uh, hope to see you pretty soon in the studio.
1: You You got it. Good to see you, too. See you, Sharpie. See you, Liam.
0: Take care, guys.